chapter number one. If you have your Bible, whether it's on a smartphone, smart device, or iPad, or a traditional Bible, take it out. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter number one. You know, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he was writing to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was not your most righteous church in their uh, moral fabric. They actually had a lot going on. In chapter 1, Paul begins to speak to them, and he says, To the church at Corinth, who are sanctified in Christ and called to be holy. That word sanctified, it means to be set apart. He says, church, you are set apart in Christ. And because you are set apart in Christ, you are called to be holy. Paul understood who he was speaking to. He was speaking to a young infant church that had many problems, many situations going on in that church. There was a lot of division in chapter 1. There's a lot of division. He says, some of you say you're of Paul or Apollos. I'm of Jesus Christ. He was talking about stop the division in the church. And he says, you've got to look at the cross. Say the cross. The cross is is the solution for all our divisions because it's at the cross. God reconciled all of humanity. And in chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 18 through 21. Now, I want you to stay with me today because I believe this is going to be a powerful message. It's a series that's only going to last two weeks today and next Sunday. And on Easter, we're going to talk about the greatest comeback ever. Ever. How many of you love those Carolina Tar Heels today? Come on now. I had to stay up late. I don't usually do that on Saturday night, but me and my son, we were dancing around the living room, man, just shouting because, you know, God always beats the devil. Amen. God always beats the devil. And uh, we're excited about that. But uh, it was unbelievable. But Easter's coming. And the week after Easter, we begin a brand new series called Escaping the Cage. We're going to be talking about escaping the cage of stress, escaping the cage of worry, escaping the cage of fear, and escaping the cage of comparison. So you don't want to miss that. So today in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 21, it says, To preach the message of the cross seems like sheer, look here, nonsense. To those who are on their way to destruction, but to us who are being saved, it is the mighty power of God released where? Within us. For it is written, I will dismantle the wisdom of the wise and I will invalidate the intelligence of the scholars. For in his wisdom, God designed that all the world's wisdom should be insufficient to lead people to the discovery of himself. He took great delight in baffling the wisdom of the world by using the simplicity. Say simple. Don't make it hard. He said the simplicity of preaching the story of what? The cross. In order to save those who believe. When you think of the cross, what do you think of? Do you think of it as a a lucky charm around a necklace? Do you think of the cross as something on top of a steeple on a church building? Do you think of the cross as a tattoo on somebody's arm, so it's just a beautiful emblem? Do you think of the cross as something you have hanging up in your home? See, the cross is much more 
than that. Paul talks about the message of the cross being foolish or nonsense to some. For some, the cross is just a relic of the past. It's just a, a symbol. And to others, it is this offensive symbol. It's something that really brings an offense into our culture. And when you think about Jesus, Jesus was the most inclusive person to ever walk this people planet. Jesus had a knack of reaching out to the Samaritan woman at the well. He had a knack of reaching out to tax collectors, reaching out to prostitutes, and showing them the love of God. He was very inclusive. And when I said that, some of you, your ears perked up. While at one time he is the most inclusive person to ever walk the planet, simultaneously he was the most exclusive person to walk the planet. Isn't that crazy? Because Jesus made this claim. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father but by me. And that claim is the reason the cross has become so offensive in our culture. Because Jesus was claiming that the only way to God is through Him, through Jesus alone. And in our culture, we begin to think that all roads lead to the same place. How do you know? I can't get on Indian River Road and Indian River Road take me to every place in America. No, it, it doesn't take me, you know, I can get on Indian River Road and go certain places, but if, if I want to go to California, Indian River Road's not going to lead me all the way to California. So Jesus was saying, I am the road that leads to my Heavenly Father's place, and oftentimes that, that becomes offensive in our culture. It, it offends our mind that there is only one way to God. But I didn't make that statement because that statement, if you have a red letter edition Bible, is stated by Jesus and it is written in red. And Jesus, who was the most inclusive person, while simultaneously being the most exclusive person, said, I am the way. So the doctrine and theology of Oprah Winfrey doesn't carry weight with the gospel. There are not multiple paths that lead you to God. There is only one way. And Jesus said, I am the way. And in our world of inclusivity and all, play, all religions lead to the same place, that becomes very offensive. And that's why the cross and that's why Jesus is a stumbling block. Because it offends our thinking in our modern world. See, you can consider what's happening around the world when it comes to the cross. The Dagen newspaper reported that the Norwegian director of immigration ordered facilities housing immigrants to remove crosses and images of Jesus. Under the Obama administration in our nation, crosses were removed from military chapels. The NCR reported that Chinese authorities have taken, have been have been campaigning to remove the crosses from the Catholic churches. 
On March 10, 2014, atheists sued to remove the famous Ground Zero Cross from the Twin Towers site in New York City. Protestant churches in Germany were ordered to remove crosses from their churches in order to accommodate the Muslims in the area. A few years ago, the city of Whitmore, Kentucky was told to remove the cross from the top of the city's water tower. Think about that. Why is there such an offense over the cross? It's because Jesus said, this is the only way. Because it offends political power. It offends religious power in our day of globalism and all political powers wanting to become one. Even there is a religious undertone, an overtone of all religions becoming one and accommodating, just creating this one world religion and this one world global political system. How many of you know that offends the cross, offends those systems? And God laughs not only at the political powers of our world, but he laughs at the religious powers. And in Psalm chapter 2, we see this prophetic psalm of God bringing his power to earth through his son, Jesus. And look what it says in Psalm 2 in the Passion Translation. How dare the nations rebel or plan to rebel? Their foolish plots are futile. Look at how the power brokers of the world rise up to hold their summit as the rulers scheme and confer together against God and his anointed king. Saying, let's come together and break away from the creator. Ooh, doesn't that sound good? Does it sound like the world we're living in? How many of you know this was prophetically speaking of when Christ was coming into the earth in the first century? But prophetically, it can also speak about the day in which we live in. He says, once and for all, let's cast off these controlling chains of God and his Christ. God enthroned merely laughs at them. The sovereign one mocks their madness. Then with the fierceness of his fiery anger, he settles the issue and terrifies them to death with these words. I myself, look here, he says he terrifies to death with these words. I myself have poured out my king on Zion, my holy mountain. God is saying, I put Jesus in the holy place on Mount Zion as a king of all kings. I can tell you today, every time the kings of this world try to try to push people away from God and, and try to get Christianity pushed out of public sector, God is laughing at them. Did you know God is laughing at the governors and at the prime ministers and at the presidents and at the leaders and at all the dictators of this world? He's laughing at them and mocking them. They think through their political power and their religious power that they can create a rebellion that is anti-Christ and God mocks at them and through that he establishes the cross of Christ that becomes a symbol of God's ultimate power in the earth. I mean, you know, God laughs at Disney when they shake their fists. God laughs at, come on, God laughs at President Biden when he 
says, hey, we're going to let anybody be whatever they want to. Gender doesn't matter. We're with you. God laughs at them that you know homosexuality, bestiality, and, and gender confusion is a shake in the hand, in the, in the face of God. And God laughs at that. God laughs at that. Why, why is gender confusion an attack on the personhood of God? Because God created man and the woman in his image. He created them. And it is a, a mockery of God. That's what it is. You've got to see it for what it is. You've got to see it for God. God sits in heaven. And he just chuckles. He chuckles. Ain't these people crazy? Isn't Putin crazy? Come on. Zelensky, isn't he crazy? Biden, isn't he just crazy? Come on. The governors of our nation, crazy. God just laughs at them. He knows their schemes. He knows that they're trying to overthrow his rule. So what was God doing at the cross? What happened at the cross? Because oftentimes we say at the cross, God condemned his son to death. No, he didn't condemn his son. What did, what did the cross condemn? What did God condemn on the cross? Well, you've got to go to the Word to answer that question. In Romans 8, 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you know, if you're in Christ, you're not condemned? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. The law had no power to change your heart and give you a thirst for righteousness and the goodness of God. The law only condemned you. When I talk about the law, I'm talking about the 613 Mosaic laws and the Ten Commandments. It had the power to condemn you. But God... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Look here. And so he condemned what? Sin in the flesh. When God sent his son to die on the cross, he wasn't condemning his son. He was condemning sin in the flesh. See, he was pleased with Jesus. Matter of fact, when Jesus came up out of the water of baptism, the spirit said, Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Cross, please, the Father. Why? Because he was condemning sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to what? The flesh. We don't live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Spirit. That's why Paul comes back in Galatians chapter 5 and he says, we don't walk in the flesh because when you walk in the flesh, you gratify the evil desires of the flesh. We walk and live by the Spirit of God. Meaning of this right here, when you have the Holy Spirit living in you, he directs and guides you. 
He teaches you. You're, you're not led by the letter of the law. You're led by the indwelling voice and person of the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. Oftentimes, we see God as some distant deity in another reality. God is not some distant deity in another reality. God is with us right now. Did you know there's no distance if you're a believer between you and God? There's no distance between you and God even if you're an unbeliever. I miss some of you all right there. Why? Because the Bible teaches that everything has been reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. Reconciled to to bring back into alignment. And though all of us are reconciled to God, we've been brought back to God by the cross of Jesus Christ, not all of us are saved. Why? Because salvation happens when I place my trust in what Jesus did on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. If I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, I am saved. Though all of humanity, all of planet Earth has been reconciled to God, not everyone is saved. Does that offend you? In our modern culture, it does. And the reason we don't witness and the reason we don't invite people to church is because we think everybody's going to the same place. Think about it. When's the last time you went to a funeral and the pastor stood up and said, that person went to hell? Because that would offend us. That would offend us. Because when somebody's in a casket, we want to shed the best light on them. Some people don't have no good light. Some, some funerals are hard to preach. See, the cross represents the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies. It represents the forgiveness of sin. It represents victory in our lives. It represents freedom we have in Christ. It represents defeat of the devil, that the devil was defeated at the cross. In fact, 1 John says, For this purpose was the Son of God made manifest that he might destroy the works of the enemy. Satan has been defeated. He is a defeated foe. So what are you fighting today? You're fighting your thoughts and your flesh. Oftentimes we say, man, the devil's fighting me. No, it's usually your flesh. Galatians calls it the works of the flesh. Pride, envy, strife. All these things, these works of the flesh, that's what we're fighting. Cross represents the wisdom of God. You think about that, the wisdom of God. So when we think about the cross, man, it, it's almost like this cross pulls us. It's pulling at us. When I was growing up, we had this thing called field day. Anybody remember field day at school? Back in those days, not everyone got a ribbon. personally think that's the way it should be. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I rarely got a blue ribbon, but I did get a white one every now and then and a red one that was second place. But everybody wanted a blue ribbon. And there was this one competition where it, it, it was a team sport. It was called tug of war. 
And so I, I'm a leader. I was even a leader back then. So I would look for the biggest guy. And he would be the anchor. He'd tie that sucker around him. And he would just lean back and sit down on the ground. And you couldn't have pulled him if you had a Chevrolet 4x4. Four four. Jacked up from Pungo Off-Road. And so we would get, and because he was the anchor, we could pull that team to us and win every time. How many of you know Jesus is the anchor of our souls? And he's pulling us toward himself. It pulls us to the cross. So if I'm going to be pulled by God, there has to be something playing on my part. I have to submit. There has to be a surrendered heart. And as I surrender, God pulls me toward freedom. He pulls me literally into freedom. Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be Burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Paul was talking about Christ sets you free. Don't go back under the law trying to be made righteous by your works. Stand firm in what you believe. Stand firm in the cross of Christ. It pulls you into this supernatural freedom. A freedom from the shackles of sin. Freedom from shame. Freedom from fear. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from addiction. The cross will pull you into freedom. But when you try to do it by yourself. I don't know about you. Some of my self-effort. Some of my self-discipline falls short. I've been trying to lose the same 20 pounds for many years. And it comes and it goes. And then it comes back and then it goes. There's something about me trying to do it that makes it harder on my part. It's not me trying to be free that gets me free. It's just me surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and putting my faith in what he did on the cross. Look here. Paul said to the church in Corinth that is sanctified in Christ. I mean, when you stay in Christ, He sanctified you and He continues to sanctify you. That means set you apart and your call is to be holy. Freedom. Anybody in here ever struggled with freedom in their lives? John said in John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. We have been cleansed. We, we've been forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. Not only dying, but his resurrection. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things become new. We are free in him. And through that new creation. In fact, Galatians says this. The only thing that matters is a new creation. Am I a new creation in Him? And as the Holy Spirit lives in this new creation, it's making me more like Jesus. And it pulls me into this supernatural freedom that I could never experience before on my own, my own might, my own power. 
you have an addiction, put your faith in Christ. Look here, he said, if any of them be in Christ, he's a new creation. Here's the, here's the, here's the fact about all this. When you got saved, your address changed. You were picked up out of darkness, put into light. You were picked up out of the world and put into Christ. But here's the problem. After we've been put into Christ, we keep relating to our old address. Some of us have been conditioned to believe that we're just sinners, filthy, dirty, wretched. Some of y'all sing gospel songs that tell you you're filthy, you're dirty, you're wretched. You ever heard that old gospel song, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace? I mean, when you get saved, you no longer are a sinner. I'm going to teach you the Bible. You're no longer a sinner. You've been made right with God through Christ, and your address changes, and you are in Christ. See, as long as you relate to your past, you can never become a new creation daily. Some of you worship God based on your performance and not His performance. Here's the illustration. If you've had a tough week, man, your mouth got away, maybe you did something stupid, you sinned, you come in church, and the first song you're sitting here like this, feel righteous. I don't, I don't feel holy. I don't feel sanctified. And so yeah, you wrestle with yourself halfway through the first song. And finally you take your hands out of your pocket. <laughs> it takes you all the way to the third song and the transition to feel like you're holy enough based on your performance to worship God. And as long as you worship God that way, you'll forever be bound. You don't worship God on your performance. You worship God based on His performance at the cross. And if you sin, here, and if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. And if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So when you feel the Holy Spirit nudging you and saying, hey, you didn't do that right, just go ahead and confess it. Let the blood of Jesus cleanse you from all unrighteousness and begin to worship God. Come on, somebody. The enemy is the condemner of the brethren. He condemns you before God. Don't wait till you get to the third song to feel like you're worthy. It's not based on your word. It's based on His word and what He did at the cross. Confess it, release it, and begin to worship God. Amen. I remember when I was growing up, it took me at least 30 minutes before I could lift my hands in church. Why? Because I didn't have a revelation of his performance. I had a revelation of my performance. Because every week, man, I miss the mark. That's what sin is. It's, it means to miss the mark. How I many you know, we miss the mark many times, but we're not sinners. We are saints that have the capability 
are the capacity to sin occasionally. When you get saved, if you sin, it's because you made the decision to sin. Because your nature has been changed. After salvation, sin is a choice. Before salvation, it was your nature. Come on, you can take a pig. You can take a pig, a hog, and you can wash him. And you can put Clorox on him, get him clean. You can put a bow around his neck, and you can take him to the county fair. But when you get him home, guess where he's going? He's going back to the mud. He's going to get dirty, ugly, and stinky. Why? Because it's his nature. It's his nature. When you got saved, Corinthians is right. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things become new. What happened? God gave me a new nature. He gave me a new nature. Now, if I decide to get drunk and sin, it wasn't because my nature made me. It was because my flesh was weak. And I decided to give in to my flesh and get drunk and do something stupid. If I cuss somebody out, as a believer, it's not my nature to do so. I just made a decision and gave into my flesh and I cussed them out. If I lie on my taxes, that's not my nature. I'm a saint because I'm in Christ. It's because I decided to do that and I just did it and I lied and I need to repent that gets me back into right relationship with God. Do you hear me? I know that's not what you've been taught. You've been taught you're just dragged around as a believer with your fallen nature. That's not true. Show me that in the Bible. You can't. You cannot tell me that. It's not in the Bible. It's in your songs. Most worship songs are bad theology. Because they're written by people who just want to make money. That's never been a Bible school. Never studied the Bible. It was just a feel-good song. It just felt good. It rhymed. <laughs> it was just so melodic. It was just the word, word right there. That word. Well, come on, man. You're jacking up the whole church because you won't learn the Bible. How many of you know most people learn their theology from songs? How did they teach theology years ago? By some, you don't, you don't read some of these awesome hymns of the faith. These majestic courses of faith. A mighty God. Mighty fortresses are God. These songs were full of theology. Why? Because that's how people learn the Bible. And we're doing the same thing today. We have worship leaders leading us and we're learning bad theology because somebody won't hold them accountable. It feels good. <laughs> we say, I'm waiting on you. Waiting. You're not waiting on God. God's already in your future. He's waiting on you. <laughs> Lord, I just want to get to where you are. We sing songs like that. How can you get to somebody who's already living in you? 
what's up. Lord, I'm trying to get to you. Well, you can't get to him. He already came to you. And if you're a believer, he lives in you. So there's no distance between you and God. The only distance is religion has created you a, a mindset of you having to climb a ladder to get to God. There's no distance between you and God. When you sin, God doesn't jump out. He doesn't jump out, folks. He lives there. What he does do, he begins to discipline you. He begins to correct you by his Holy Spirit. He doesn't, he doesn't just, you know, it's like some people say, well, if, if you break the speed limit, God jumps out at 56 miles an hour. No, he doesn't. He taught that garbage. If he jumped out at 56 miles an hour, 36 miles an hour, 26 miles an hour, God would never be in our car. I was driving down Interstate 95 not too long ago, and I was doing over the speed limit, and the cop passed me. I waved at him. I was rolling, brother. I didn't feel like God jumped out. I was doing wrong, and I needed to repent. So it draws me into freedom. Number two. Yeah, that's one. Number two. It pulls me into a desire for righteousness. I mean, you know, if I get saved, my thirst, my hunger, and my desire changes. Look here. I'm not talking about perfection. When he pulls me into righteousness and I'm put into Christ, positionally, I am perfected, but conditionally, I'm not perfect. But there is a taste, there is a desire, there is a want to do what God wants me to do. And by His Holy Spirit, He helps me become everything I need to become in Christ Jesus. Look at this verse right here. It says this in 1 Peter 2.24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might, look here, die to what? Die to what? Died of what? Sin. When did you die of sin? When Jesus died, I died. When Jesus was buried, I was buried. When Jesus was resurrected, I was resurrected. In Him. But daily, because He bore our sins in His body on the tree, so that we might die to sins. Look here, I die to sin every day. I make a choice as a believer every day. I'm not going to live in my old address. I'm not going to participate in my old nature. I've been given a new nature. Look here. And we live, look here, for righteousness. Righteousness. What is righteousness? How is it right standing with God in my relationship? Righteousness is not only vertical. Righteousness is horizontal. How do I treat people around? How do I treat my supervisor, my employer? How do I treat my kids, my wife? I have to live to righteousness. When I get saved, there's a desire to live for righteousness. I'm very concerned about our church. Not just Bridge, but the church in America. 
that we've told people that they've gotten saved and, and they've got a ticket to heaven and nothing changed. Nothing changed. The only thing changed was that they started coming to church. But they come to church and walk out and live like they've always lived. There's no desire for righteousness. There's no desire for God's word. There's no desire for his presence. There's no desire to pray. There's no desire just to, to be around other believers. We just make it fast, man. I go to that church, man. That's where I make my connections socially. That's where I make my business connections. There's nothing transformative about it. I just It's just a transaction. There's no covenant. And we've done a disservice to people when we say, hey, you just say this prayer. Just go live any way you want. No. We make a mockery of the first century Christians that were willing to give their life. All of the disciples were martyred for the gospel. But when we get saved, we don't want any inconvenience. Pastor, don't ask me to serve. Don't ask me to come to church more than one time a month. Don't ask me to read my Bible. And I'm definitely not going to pray. Because this is my life. And I want to live it the way I want to live it. But Jesus said, if any man wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He said, deny yourself, not buffet yourself. He said, deny yourself. What happened? What happened to covenant? What happened to really following Christ? When 85 to 90% of all Americans say they're Christians and we see our nation spiraling in moral decay, that's a lie. There's not 90% of people in America Christians. They were born, they feel like, into a Christian nation. And maybe they went to church one time. If 90% of Americans were Christian, Disney couldn't raise their fist. Hollywood couldn't raise their fist. It would never happen. Social media would not try to shut churches down in quiet voices of reason. That's a lie. Don't you give in to that lie. Don't give in to that. See, it, it pulls me into this righteousness. Say righteousness. Righteousness. It pulls me into this righteousness. And number three, it pulls me into the love of God. The love of God. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, look here, look there, you were powerless. Say, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates. Look here. The cross is a demonstration of God's love. He demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, he didn't wait till we got perfect enough. He didn't wait till we got holy enough and righteous enough and loving enough. He died when we were decaying and dying in our sin. 
pulls us to freedom, pulls us into righteous living, and it pulls us into the love of God. And that cross, 2,000 years ago, gives us the ultimate picture of God's love. The ultimate picture of God's love. It was at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. The offense of the cross is, is this. It shows me that I can't save myself. It shows me that I'm not God. And it shows me that I'm powerless. It shows me that there is a king in heaven. It shows me that I'm in need of a savior. And if I'll bow my knee. See, the message of the cross to those who are perishing is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it's the very power. Some of you in here, you said a prayer, but the desires of your heart didn't change. You're still eating and living and working religiously at your old address, spiritually. And you've not been settled in your new address, which is in Christ. And in Christ, freedom begins to work in your life. In Christ, Righteousness begins to work in your life, giving you righteous desires and righteous motives and a righteous heart. It leads to righteous mind, a mind and righteous behavior. It begins to work. God begins to work out His salvation. Has it pulled you toward the love of God? If you would, let's place that. I believe it's a day of reckoning. It's the day where we say, hey, Lord, have I just been playing religion? Have I been playing the church game? Do I just come because my parents say you need to be there to help you? Do I come because my wife just wants me to just be with her and the kids on Sunday? Or is there a righteous thirst in me? Is there a righteous desire? Say, Lord, I want to walk with you. Because in you there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation in Christ. And it's so simple. As saints of God, we place our trust in Christ alone. We might sin, but here's the deal. All we have to do is recognize we have an advocate. We confess. He forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's that simple. You don't have to cry. You don't have to beg. You don't have to plead. Just come to him. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Low heads bowed. You say, Pastor. I need the assurance that I'm in God's family. I'm a child of God. I need to know 